You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. All right, so we're in, we're in Thessalonians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, no, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 today. And Paul loves this little church. He loves it. And I think one of the reasons Paul likes it so much, and it, I, don't take this the wrong way, but like this church was all new Christians. I mean, there, there were no old Christians in Thessalonica because they had just become Christians. So this church was all people who were brand new to their faith. And it, you may know this in your own life. When you first came to Christ, there was like an urgency in you. There was a passion that some of us can kind of lose over time because we forget about how desperate we were. We forget how amazing grace was. And so Paul's got a church of all brand new Christians. Don't, don't you know there's just energy in there? Now, they needed to be directed. They needed to be steered. But I can only imagine the energy in that place every single week. And so Paul loves this church. But many of you guys know this, too. When you come, when, when you get to the mountaintop on, on your experience with God, let's say you have a big spiritual experience, whether it's king and kingdom or a graduation or, or whatever, you have some big spiritual experience. What happens on the other side of that? Does the enemy typically just sit back and, and smile at you? He comes at you. It's like every time you experience something great, it's like the enemy comes and tries to knock your legs out of money, doesn't he? Every single time. And so what Paul wants this young church to understand is hold on to your faith because things are going to happen. Persecution is going to come. Affliction. In, in those moments, what you must have is real faith, and Paul is going to define real faith for us today. So 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, let's, let's roll, verse 1. Paul, Sylvanius, anyone in here named Sylvanius? That's good, because now I know why he went by Silas, because I'd go by something else too. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy, that would have been weird had someone, I don't know what I would have done. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters. It's only fitting because your faith is increasing abundantly and the love of each and every one of you towards one another grows even greater. Okay, so Paul says, man, I'm so thankful for this little church. I'm so thankful for you, the people, because your faith is increasing. And how do I know your faith is increasing? Because your love for one another is growing. That is the sign of growing faith. One of the greatest indicators that your faith is pure and real and growing is that you are growing in love for people. That you're, you're beginning to look like Christ. That you're growing in your desire to love people you disagree with. That you're growing in your empathy for people you disagree with. That you're, that you're growing in a desire to see people restored, even people you don't like. And love in the Bible is not, y'all need to understand this, love is not like a, just an emotion. Love in the Bible is a verb. It's like that you're willing to go and do the things necessary, that you're growing in your desire to walk across the room and meet someone in this place so that you know everyone is connected. This is the indicator that we are growing in our faith is when we're willing to step out of our own comfort zones and pursue Christ, even if it costs us something. And so Paul would say, this is the indicator of growing faith. And I love how James says this in James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, 
If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing or in need of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith that has no works is dead, being by itself. But someone may say to me, well, you have faith, and I have works. And I say, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's good, guys. Real faith should be growing and active. It should do something inside of us. It, it should be becoming more difficult for us to ignore the pain in this world. It should be becoming more difficult for us to look at a situation where people are suffering and say, well, you know, at least that's them and not me. It should be growing more difficult for us to walk by someone who's hurting or without and just go, Psh, lazy. It should be becoming more difficult in us to look someone in the eyes and walk around them when we know we could help. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying you stop at every second. I'm, not, I'm just saying it should be, there should be a struggle in us. The things in this world that are causing people pain should now be causing us pain as we grow in love and faith. Verse 4. As a result, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your, here's a real important word, for your perseverance and afflictions, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. Okay, so he says, you're going to experience persecution and affliction, but you're going to endure it. As a matter of fact, you're going to persevere in it. I got a question for you guys. When you hear the word endure something, what does that make you think of? Just, just kind of imagine your head. When you hear the word endure something, does it make you think like you're white-knuckling something that you hate? That, that's, let me give you an example of enduring. When one of you, when I'm preaching, and someone begins to open a piece of candy, what, and, and you open it for like 14 minutes, instead of just ripping it, let me just rip it open, guys. When you open it slowly for 14 minutes so that I hear crinkle, 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 crinkle. I'm enduring that, okay? I don't love it. Um, another thing, you know, I might endure is like, you know, bringing kids in is cool, but like if your kid is like jumping around, they're, you know, they're like hula hooping or something and they're on your hand, you think it's cute, I'm enduring it. Just, just so, so we have an understanding of what endure means. That's not what it meant for the first century Christian. What it means for us to just kind of bear with something that we really, yeah, it's grinding on us. For them, it meant something different. It meant that when you're persecuted or afflicted, you actually absorb that thing and become stronger. You with me? I've actually got this. This will clear it up. Go ahead with that clip for me. Did that help? <laughs> you see what happened though. So Thor has his hammer and he calls down lightning and he shoots Iron Man with the, and that should have killed Iron Man. But instead of, instead of the lightning killing him, it made him stronger. 
He actually absorbed that thing and turned it back and got stronger through it. That's what it means for us to persevere. That's what it means for us to endure. It means that there will be affliction and things in this world that will come against us, but instead of destroying us, we will be empowered by it. Isn't that a strange mindset? See, our mindset in the West is, you know, you ask somebody, how you doing? They'll say, blessed, blessed and highly favored, man. And I always want to see, well, why do you think that? And typically when we say we're blessed, it's because everything's going great in our world. We have our health, we have money, we have this. So I'm blessed. Why? Because of all the things I have. In, in their mind, they were blessed. Listen to how crazy this is. They were blessed when they were being afflicted or persecuted, and they had faith in the midst of it. They considered it a blessing when they were persecuted and they had faith because they knew that that led to endurance, which made them stronger. They actually considered the woes of this world a blessing because that was God's tool for refining them. Isn't that crazy? And we, we say, well, how could a good God let bad things happen to us? A good God can let bad things happen if his highest call is not to make you happy, if his highest call is to make you holy. And gold must be pure through fire to be gold. And so I'm not saying God calls down the bad things on us, but God, it's in his character to use pain to make us like Christ. And guys, that is a theme throughout the entire Bible, that God will use suffering to refine us. And we should struggle with that. We should struggle because it's hard. And we see things, you know, is, is, that, is this God disciplining me or, or is this just bad things happening? I don't think that most of the bad things that happen to us is God disciplining us. Uh, but I do think God disciplines through natural consequences. But I think anything that happens, if we turn to God, God can use that situation to make us stronger. Don't you want to be like Iron Man? It's okay, guys. It's church. You're allowed to smile. That's good. All right, let's, uh, oh, C.S. Lewis, let me read you all this. C.S. Lewis had a quote, says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Our pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't that true? Can you, you, your moments where you're closest to God, aren't they often the most painful moments of your life? And so those moments God won't waste. Aren't you glad you serve a God who refused to waste your pain? I would hate to have pain wasted. Verse 6. Th this is interesting because do y'all you, do you ever watch reels on Instagram? The rest of y'all are lying. Okay, we all watch them, right? We all spend too much time watching reels. So I, I'll see like something on there where someone will like go into a store or something, they'll try to rob it, and someone will like get them, you know, fight them or whatever. And like there's always these situations where I want justice for something. Y'all ever sit around just wanting justice? You watch the news and we're like desiring justice, especially for people who don't believe what we believe or think like we think and we want justice. What God's about to tell us is, let me handle the justice. You, you be like Christ and I'll handle justice. Verse 6, for after all, it's only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 
When he comes to be glorified among us saints on that day and to be marveled among who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Guys, go back one. Listen to what this says. These people, people who rebel against Christ, and this is the part of, of our belief that I think we should all have a hard time with. The people who refuse to acknowledge Christ as their Savior, these people will pay a penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of God. I don't like that. And we talked about this last week. If you like that, there's something wrong with you. This should bother us. But I I read this 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 morning and I read it this week and I was like, man, these people who don't know Jesus, they'll they'll pay a penalty of eternal destruction. They'll they'll be eternally separated from God. And then I thought, do we even really believe that? Do you you believe that? That people will be eternally separated from God? There there was a comedian, uh, it's Penn and Teller. Y'all ever heard of these guys? Okay, well, Penn is an atheist, okay? And he made this statement that says, any Christian who doesn't actively pursue people for Jesus Christ is a horrible person if they believe their own Bible is true. And he's an atheist. If we're not actively pursuing people for Jesus and we believe that someone's going to be separating him from forever, what's that say about us? Guys, at the end end of this gathering, we're going to sing a song called Our God and Our King. And I love that song. And there's a verse in it that says, uh, when, when he returns on a white horse, he'll ride. Uh, justice and truth is what he is called. He's got a sword in his hand. And when we sing that part, we all cheer. Maybe instead of cheering in that part, our hearts should be breaking. That he's going to come. There's going to be justice for people that we didn't reach because we chose to take the easy way or we chose to be comfortable. And I, I don't want to make you feel bad. But if we're not telling people about, if we're not pursuing people about Jesus, let's stop acting like we believe in hell. Let's just choose one. Let's either not believe in hell or let's go love the hell out of people. But we've got to choose one. We've got to choose one. We either must believe in this so much that we care or we should simply choose to not believe in it. Because to believe in it and not speak is the height of hypocrisy. Y'all feel good about that? Man, it bums me out. Like, how many times I've walked by people, and it's me too, it's all of us. Because we get lazy and we get set in our ways and we just see people and we just genuinely don't care. Just let that sit for a second. If I believe it's true, shouldn't it affect the way I live? Verse 11. To this end we also pray for you, that our God will consider you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and in him, in accordance with the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I guess Paul ends this, this, this part by saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you. And do you all see what he prays for in verse 11? I pray that you will be found, what? Worthy of your calling. This is a persecuted church in a place where their friends are being executed for their belief. What would you have prayed for them? What about the old hedge of protection prayer? Y'all ever pray? By the way, I think a moat of protection would be better. Like a brick wall. Hedges aren't that strong. It's just a bush, right? But like something stronger. But he doesn't pray for that. Instead, you know what he says? He says, I pray that when you are persecuted, that when you are afflicted, that you are found worthy of your calling. 
that your faith is pure. I pray that when you have to sacrifice something, that when you're actually in a room where you're saying, I'm, I'm not going to be part of this because I, I love Jesus, when you're actually walking across the room to go someplace where no one will go, to love someone no one will love, that when you find yourself in a position that could actually cost you your resources or maybe even your life, that in that moment, you won't be protected. You will be worthy of your calling. That in these moments where we purposely put ourselves in situations that might cost us, that in that moment we would be found worthy. Guys, if you, and listen, listen, don't answer out loud. And this is, again, guilt is my least favorite tool, so I don't want anyone to feel guilty. I want you to feel alive. Have you ever put yourself in a position because of your faith where you would have to risk something? Maybe even you were going to have to risk a simple momentary pleasure. Or maybe it was going to cost you a relationship. Maybe you're going to have to put something down or, or pick something up, but it was actually going to cause you pain. And in that moment, instead of asking God to spare you of the pain, you said, God, I want to be worthy. And if we never suffer anything for Christ in our whole lives, how can we have a purified faith? If gold never hits the furnace, it has no value. It's in the fire that it becomes pure. And so I wonder sometimes if I, and maybe you, have just gotten a little too comfortable. I wonder sometimes if because our life is so incredibly easy, we don't ever really get to experience the greatness that God wants to pour out on us. I wonder if sometimes we're more concerned about what people think than we are about making the creator of the universe smile. And guys, I, I'm talking to me, but maybe some of you feel me. Perhaps it's time to step out. Perhaps, perhaps it's time to step up. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.